worthy of your name. And Father, it is our responsibility, it is our calling, it is our command. Father, to make your name famous to the nations. Father, we, we don't make your name worthy because your name is worthy, but we, we are called to make your name famous. From the least of us to the greatest of us. And so God, this morning as we um, open your word, we look to the call and the command that you have given us. Not only as, as, as a church, but as individuals. We would look to you, Jesus. And if we, we would realize, God, that the true Sabbath, true rest, comes not, not in sitting down and watching TV, not sitting down by the pool or by the ocean, but true Sabbath comes in, in rest in you, in silence in, in, in you, and worship within you and are of you and Father through through music, through the word, through fellowship, through discipleship. God, we will realize that yes, you Holy Spirit are the one that convicts and pricks and and calls. But you do that God as as we preach the gospel. So may you be with us this morning, in Christ's name, amen. Well, it is, it is good to be back this morning, um, after a couple weeks gone, and I, I knew that Scott and, and Zach did an awesome job. Uh, both of those men are, are friends of mine, and, and uh, just good men, um, godly men, Christ-centered men, um, and so um, thankful for them. This morning, we're, we're going to, um, so next week we're going to start in Acts. This Sunday, we're going we're gonna to have a buffer sermon. Um, we've seen buffer videos and kind of things, kind of bumper videos, kind of things to, to go up to a sermon. Uh, but this morning, we're going to have a, a full sermon that kind of sets up why Acts 1 is, is vital or, and Acts as a whole is vital not only to us as a church, but us as individuals. And so if you'll turn to Matthew chapter 28, um, we're going to look at Jesus' last words in Matthew uh, as they coincide with Jesus' last words in Acts 1 as we will look at next week. And as you're turning to, to that um, passage in that book in Matthew 28, uh, Secret Sisters Ministry, um, it will be August through December, and Carrie has laid up forms up here on the, um, on the area up here, and, and so if you'll pick those up. Ladies, uh, I know it was a great ministry and a great time um, last time around. Um, also, we've got a cookout, I believe, coming up here soon, don't we? The 15th, next Sunday, uh, to reach out uh, again to to people. And, and let, me, let me say this. Um, the reason we're doing these cookouts is, yes, it's fellowship, but we're trying to invest in others for the sake of the gospel, and we want them coming. And here's what I'm going to ask, church. Um, I, I'm going to ask that we here invest next week by uh, bringing some items. If you can bring some kind of side dish um, and, and invest and, and be here, we, that's what we want. Uh, and this is the whole sermon this morning. 
Acacia and Braden's sister, um, Samara, is, is pregnant. And a good way to minister there is, is we're going to do a baby shower um, for, for her. And, um, and I know that um, some had given gifts to, um, to Starla and Jacob when uh, little Amelia was born. And you can still, uh, I'm sure they can still use things and, and, and stuff like that. And so, but Jacob, I mean, Samara um, is not involved in church. And so uh, we want to minister to her. And so, um, and I can promise you diapers. If you're like, all I can do is diapers. Diapers helps out a lot. Matter of fact, with our kids, Diapers was the most important thing that we received uh, because once you start buying them, <laughs> the, the grocery bill goes up quite a bit. And so um, the call and the command of the church is to make disciples. That, that's our call and command. It, it really is to make disciples and, and to worship. Those are the two things the church does both individually as, as the church, you and I are the church, and then corporately as we gather together, the two things that we do is make disciples and we worship. That, that, that is our whole call and command, nothing else. We're not a political um, organization, we're not anything else, but we are to make disciples and we are to worship. And, and making disciples, that means also helping out with people, helping out with needs, things that are going on, social needs as ways of making disciples. Evangelism is a part of discipleship. You don't separate evangelism and discipleship. Evangelism begins the discipleship process and then it never ends. Jesus didn't say in Matthew chapter 28, go evangelize the world, did he? He said what? Go make disciples of the nations. And so if you have your Bible, we're going to read verse 16 through 20. And, and most of us in this room, I know, know these verses by heart. But I pray this morning that as we read them, they're fresh and new to each of us. Because it's so easy to read a passage of Scripture over and over or to hear a sermon on something over and over and it become rote or old. And anytime we come to the scripture, it should never be that way. So here we go. Here's what Matthew writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. But Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I command you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Lord, may you be with us this morning. Holy Spirit, may you flood this place. Father, be with Miss Trish as she is continuing to deal with Alzheimer's and with her family. Father, be with us this morning. Speak as only you can speak, Holy Spirit. Equip, encourage, and work on us. In Christ's name, amen. So what comes to mind when you begin to think of Jesus' command to make disciples? What, what, what begins to come to mind, your mind? When Jesus says, go make disciples of the nations, 
what, what comes to your mind when it comes to discipleship, when it comes to these verses? Oftentimes we think of that's the pastor, the staff, and the deacon's responsibility, don't we? A lot of people think that, that pastors and staff are hired guns to go make disciples, to go do all the evangelism. But that's not the case. Jesus says through the Holy Spirit in, in Ephesians chapter 4 that pastors, teachers, and those who are like that are called to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, which means that doing the work of the ministry is making disciples of the nations. So when Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 28, he's not just talking to his disciples, the 12 or the 11 now, but he is talking to a larger group. And he says to them, go make disciples. So it's not just the 11's responsibility to go make the disciples. If it would have been up to the 11, the church would not have exploded like it did. Matter of fact, we're going to get in Acts again next week, and pretty quickly we're going to find out that the 11 had a certain responsibility. The 11 were called to teach the word to the multitude. And the problem is, is there was a group that wasn't being served, and so we have a role rise up, and it's called the role of the deacons. The role of the deacons is very simple. It's to serve the orphans and the widows, period. That, that's a role of a deacon. A servant is one who, who helps out. So we find that. But that doesn't excuse them from the, the process of making disciples. The reason that that's, the apostles said, you guys do this is so that they could continue to teach and invest in leadership so that leadership would grow and they would continue to multiply so the church would grow. When Paul went on his missionary journeys to plant churches, Paul didn't just appoint one elder or pastor. Oftentimes you find in Scripture, when you begin to read, Paul planted a church and there were elders, multiple men who were qualified to teach the Word of God and to lead the church in the process of discipleship and of worship. So when we begin to think about what does it mean to be a disciple maker, what does it mean to to make disciples, it's not just the staff, the pastors, the deacons' responsibility. But in 20 years of ministry, I've got, I don't have enough toes and fingers to tell you how many times people come to me and say, it is your responsibility to make sure more people are coming. I've asked every time, give me a chapter and verse for that. My responsibility is to make to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. It's my responsibility. Secondly, we may think, you know, when it comes to the discipleship, we say, I just don't know anyone to disciple. That's an excuse often I've heard. I just don't know anyone to disciple. Well, A, you, you know people who aren't involved in church or who are out of church or lost. You, you know people. You just don't view them from the point of the way that Jesus views them, and there are people that, to disciple. I love taking our students to camp two weeks ago because it gave me and three other adults a week to spend, five days to spend with them to invest in their lives. And you know what the cool thing was that I began to see? 
I began to see my other three leaders that went with me invest in these guys, and I was able to step back and begin to pray and equip the leaders to do the work. They naturally stepped out on their own and began to do ministry. They, they actually had rules that I didn't even come up with to help these guys be the people that they needed to be while we were gone. They found some students that were with us and said, hey, we're going to invest. See, I don't know anybody. We have 50 to 60 people here weekly. There are 10 plus students from home away. Right there is some people to invest in. You have family, you have friends. There are young men and young women here that need to be invested in. I just think of some of our, our ones that went with me as chaperones. Quentin needs a young man, a man to invest in his life to help disciple him more so that he can continue to do that work. Heather Jones needs a, a lady to pour into her life that, so she can continue to grow. Heather Newberry needs somebody to, to pour into her life so that she can continue to grow. I have people pouring into my life so that I can pour into other people's lives. I meet with people here um, and men within our church on a regular basis for the purpose of discipling them. Right before I left, Gary Cruz and I met, and, and I challenged him specifically as he and I have been meeting. I said, Gary, I want you to find several people to go do the same thing that I've been doing with you. And I'm challenging us to do that. You say, I don't know someone. Come find me, and I will find you someone. Ladies, there were 24 ladies downstairs yesterday. There are ladies who can be discipled. Gary had some from the Warriors for Christ ministry that I promise you, you get to know, you pour your life into. They need discipling. So it's just an excuse. Another excuse we may have or another reasoning we say is, I've never been discipled, so I don't know how. That's a legitimate, that's a legitimate reason. You say, you know what, I've never been discipled, so I don't know how. Come see me and I will... I will make sure I get somebody involved in your life or I will be involved in your life and how to do it because that was me. I got saved at 16 and it wasn't until I got to seminary that I had people actually invest in my life for discipleship. I was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I was on staff and never had been discipled. I, I was learning on my own and there were a lot of mistakes. And still to this day at 40, because that early life I didn't get discipled, I'm still correcting mistakes in my own life and my own ministry. But I have people now that pour into my life. There's all kinds of other things that we come up with. But when we begin to think about discipleship, one of the things we should think about is an enjoyment of fellowship an enjoyment of teaching the word and an enjoyment of growing the kingdom of God. I love watching a good funny movie. Does anybody in here like watching a good funny movie? You get the joy of it, right? I mean, you just, you get it. Last night we were coming home from, from Orange Beach and Jet was back in the back listening or watching the DVDs, watching, um, what was it? Snow White. And we were just driving, and all of a sudden, I just heard him, and he would just start chuckling and laughing. 
as it was in a scene. You can hear the dwarfs talking, and, and he was just chuckling and laughing, and that brought warmth to my heart because he's my son, and I love to hear him laugh. But you know what brought real warmth to my heart? Watching DJ and Braden stand up to say, I need Jesus, and then taking them back, talking with them, but watching Quentin talk to them about what it means for him, for Christ in his life. But also for Quentin to say, you know what, I've got a lot of struggles right now in my life, but Jesus is overcoming those things in my life, and I need more of Jesus and less of me. That was as encouraging or more exciting to me than listening to my own son laugh because I have new brothers in Christ because of that. And then seeing a man say, you know, I want to take you and, and walk with you. That's exciting kind of things. So, what's involved with discipleship? Evangelism. It, it, it's, it's meeting lost people. Randy Davis, who's, who's the executive director of the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board, said this just recently on Twitter. He said there's approximately 4 million, 4 plus million lost people within the state of Tennessee. That includes Chattanooga. There are a lot of lost people. They live around us, they work with us, they're friends with us, they're family with us. We invest in our lives for the sake of the gospel. But we give our lives for the gospel. So it begins with evangelism. Next, it's intentional investment. It's intentional investment. It's intentionally getting up on Sunday mornings and driving a van to pick up kids and then bringing them back and then after, after church taking them back before you eat lunch. It's intentional investment of hanging out with them when the van gets rowdy and rough. It's intentional investment when you've got a broke man and a broke woman. It's intentional investment when you've got somebody that's sick and they need somebody to walk with them. It's intentional investment when you've got people who who are young and married and you need somebody investing in their lives. It's intentional investment when, when you've got people who um, are, are financially struggling and you just walk with them to help them through that. It's intentional investment for the sake of the gospel. It's walking through and making Jesus real to them when life stinks. Churches grow when they do those things. You grow individually when you do those things. And then it's digging in the Word together. It's digging deep into the Word together. That's what we're going to do here in just a second. We're going to dig in this passage just a little bit in just a second. All this is for introduction. But Francis Chan says this about discipleship. It's impossible to be a disciple or follower of someone and end up and not end up looking like them. So I ask the question, listen up guys. Do you want these other people in our in the room here? Do you want others around you to look like you? 
Chasers, no. I agree with her right now. Do I want others to look like me? Only if I'm looking more like Jesus do I want them to look like me. And that's my prayer is that I'm more like Jesus today than I was six months ago. I pray that you are more like Jesus now than you were six months ago. So here we go. Let's dive in for just a few minutes and we'll be done. When we look at this passage, we see that the 11 disciples traveled to Galilee that they had been commanded and called to do. Jesus had told them, I want you to go here and I will meet you there. So they listened, right? True disciples listen to their master or their leader. And they follow him and they do or her and they do what they're, say, what they're told to do. And so Jesus tells his disciples, hey, listen up, guys. This is a command to you. Listen. All right? So, so he says, go follow, go to the Galilee, and I will meet you there. And so what do the disciples do? The 11 get up, and they go, right? They get up, and they go. So command this morning to all of us from the Holy Spirit is to listen to the Word of God. And the Word of God says, go. And so, so the disciples go, and they meet him. And when they saw him, they worshiped. And so discipleship leads us to worship when we are discipling others. Listen, when we, are, when we are investing in others, when I'm investing in them, when I'm investing in Jeremy or whoever I'm investing in, when we're investing together, it leads to worship because we are seeing more and more in Jesus as we invest in Jesus and invest Jesus into others. And so the disciples, when they saw Jesus, they did what? They worshipped. When we come to church, I get it, life's hard. Life stinks sometimes. Life can crush us. And whether it's coming into these four walls or whether it's going somewhere other, you know, a, a tent revival or wherever it may be, a camp, when we see Jesus, whether it's here or in a coffee shop, we should worship. We see Jesus all over the place. At the beach, I loved when we went places and I saw people with a Bible and I did there are several places we went and I saw people with a Bible because that leads my heart to rejoicing because I have a fellow brother and sister who is searching the word of God a few weeks ago Eli, um, Carly and I were having coffee at Starbucks on, over at Hamilton Place we were sitting there and, and I heard a group, a discipleship group meeting and another young lady, college young age lady sitting over there with a Bible that led our hearts to worship as we were talking and fellowshipping together because Jesus was being lifted up in a secular place so when we make this, when we see Jesus our hearts should worship and for that to happen we got to be in the word We've got to be in the Spirit, and we've got to, to realize that life sometimes stinks, but Jesus never does. So they showed up, and they worshiped. But look at the next phrase. What does it say? But somewhat doubted. 
they believers, were they unbelievers? We don't know. They may have just been skeptical of what was going on. Is this really a movement of God? Is this what, what's going on here? They may have just been unbelievers. They were they were doubting. They didn't have belief of some point. But here's what discipleship does. I want you to hear me. When we are really living out discipleship and we are really about discipleship in our lives, which means evangelism, we will automatically draw doubters with us. Did you hear that? You know why? Because Jesus brings a lot of curiosity. Whether as a believer or an unbeliever. Unbelievers are looking, is this Jesus real? Is this gospel real? Is what they are doing at this church real? Or is this just make-believe? And so they come and they experience and they see what's going on and they're like, the more that they're in it, the more they see worship and the more they see, man, this seems kind of strange. But the more they're in it, the more the Holy Spirit begins to work. I begin to watch, again, our students, you know, I love is real-life examples and so at camp. We started out towards the back. We were good Baptists, good Southern Baptists. We started out in a big facility of about 2,500 seats. We started towards the back, and guess what happened? Last night, we were on the second row. First, first night of worship, these guys were, were standing there, and, and they were singing a little bit. And then the next morning, it got a little bit more, and they started raising hands. Next night, one of them, two of them went up towards the stage during worship component of singing, and it just began that they began to move us forward. You know why? Not because of the band. I don't believe that at all. Because they were actually a very average band. But it because Jesus was drawing them to himself. The closer that we get to him, the more we look like him. Some of them went doubting, and they come back believing. Doubters will always be around. They don't scare us. They don't drive us to do something different, but they should drive us to see more of Jesus. So just in the first verse here, we see when they saw him, they worshipped. Some doubted. So discipleship leads us to worship. Discipleship leads us to the understanding that, that some will doubt around us, and that means that we, we have an opportunity to share more of Jesus with them, that we get to pour more of Jesus into them as, as Jesus is being poured into us. And then thirdly, um, we, we see Jesus' words. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Because Jesus has the authority and he has commanded us to go, we now go with authority and power to make disciples of the nations. That's why we can walk into places with authority and power. We can walk into conversations with authority and a power because we know Jesus has said to go. So often, you and I walk into a conversation with somebody about Jesus 
or we get into a conversation about Jesus and we get into it and we become very what? Timid. Why? Because we don't realize we have the authority and the power within us of the Holy Spirit to lead and guide that conversation. But Jesus says, I have all authority, I have all power, and I'm telling you to go. He didn't ask, did he? He didn't ask him. He said, would you go for me and make my name famous to the nations? Would you go for me and make disciples? He didn't, he didn't say that, did he? It's an emphatic go. It's not optional. Matter of fact, I want you to hear me. I don't think the title and responsibility of a missionary is a calling. I mean, I do think certain people are called to go live in Africa and wherever. But I think the overall calling of being a missionary is the call of every person that comes to faith in Jesus Christ. You are a missionary for Jesus Christ where you live and the way you live. Every one of you are called to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The, the, the title of minister is not a special office and title. The title of pastor elder is a special office for the sake of equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. But ministers are those who are believers in Jesus Christ. So guess what? We have 60, whatever we have here at this congregation, we have 60 plus ministers who are called. We have 60 plus missionaries who are called to go out for Jesus Christ. We have pastors who are called to equip those ministers to go. So we have authority and power. So when I'm down in the dumps, when I'm not feeling, feeling it, when I walk into church or when I walk into wherever I'm at, I'm in a counseling session and I'm just doing the, the things that I do. Just because that's what I got to do today. How to overcome that? I realize that it's the authority and the power of Jesus Christ that's working within me. How do I make questions? Is asked this morning, and I'm this just is flowing off my heart. And so, how, how do we make change when we think we have no authority and power? We have authority and power to make change through discipleship. Questions have been asked to me, how do you overcome negativity and how do you overcome complacency? And you, you do it by investing in others for the sake of the gospel. I've used this illustration time and time and time again. It's been used with me. How many of you have ever been on a merry-go-round? Anybody? Or seen a merry-go-round? Everybody's seen them, right? We, we go to the zoo, and Jet wants to get on the merry-go-round. One of the things you find out if you're on the merry-go-round is this. When you're on the merry-go-round, it keeps going what? keeps going around, right? And it's that same stupid song, right? Over and over and over and over. Or if you're in Six Flags and, and you're in the small little world, it's that stu same stupid song over and over, and you're just going in a circle, right? That gets annoying after a while, right? At first, it's fun, right? You're riding an elephant, it's going up and down, up and down, or the ostrich, or whatever it is, and it's going up and down, and you're going around, and the music, and it's really cool, right? But after about 45 minutes, if you're doing that, it gets what? It gets old, right? 
the authority and, and the fun of that is no longer there, is it? So you, you do what? You get off there and you go get on the roller coaster, right? This is the thrill of about three minutes. But I promise you, you know what you do if you're on a roller coaster? If you ride it over and over and you never get off of it, guess what? The thrill of the roller coaster will be what? Monotonous just like the merry-go-round. So here's how we live in authority and power in Jesus Christ. We, we walk in discipleship. We invest. We journey. We walk with authority and power knowing that the change comes when we invest our lives in others for the sake of the gospel. If I want to change somebody, you know how I do it? I sit down with God's word and I invest in them. You know if I want to change a church, you know how I do it? Sit down with God's word. preach it and we teach it and it changes them so they have authority and they have power and I'm, I'm almost done right here lastly it says here in the text go therefore and make disciples of the nations of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe Everything I have commanded you, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Discipleship begins with evangelism and it never ends. It's impossible to be a disciple or follower of someone and not end up looking like them. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a pastor in Germany in World War II, wrote this. Actions, listen, this, this is powerful. Actions spring not from thought, but from readiness for responsibility. Dietrich, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, during World War II, saw what was going on understood exactly what was happening. He understood that Hitler was destroying Jews and others who did not like the Third Reich. He saw where a lot of churches and a lot of pastors in Germany were, were just being involved in, in, in the Third Reich and were just going with the flow so that their lives wouldn't be affected. But what he saw is, is that was not of Jesus. None of the things that were going on with the Third Reich were Christ-centered or, or gospel-centered. So he began to preach and write. And Bonhoeffer himself was thrown in a concentration camp for preaching the gospel, for speaking out against Hitler, for plotting to have Hitler assassinated. Why did he do that? Listen. He did that because he saw the cost of discipleship was greater than the cost of his life. And 
he was willing to give discipleship his life for the sake of the kingdom. His life meant nothing if Jesus wasn't glorified. So I ask this question this morning as we soon begin to journey through the book of Acts. What are you willing, what am I willing to give up for the sake of making Jesus' name famous and making disciples so that others will make disciples? It's not about this pew being full and 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 there being 40 kids versus 10 kids. It's about discipling those for the purpose of making disciples with the authority and power of Jesus Christ. So church, are we willing to go do that? I come back ready to go. I come back energized. I come back ready to put the work in for the sake of the gospel. But here's the caveat to it as I close. I will not do it without you. Because I can't. And if you're not willing, then I pray God will send me and others who are willing to go where we're willing, people are willing to do it. I was scared to death to say that, but I'm going to say it. If we're not willing here to do it, I pray that God, over the next, whenever, takes those of us who are willing somewhere to places that are willing. But my prayer is that we would be willing here. So, Isaac had to go to work. Um, he got called in yesterday, I think is what he said. And so, um, he's one of the assistant managers at, at the store, so he didn't have a choice. Um, but here's how we're going we're gonna to end. Um, we can worship in silence. And that's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to ask you to respond in silence. You can either pray at your seat or you can pray down here. But we're going to pray for a couple things. We're going to pray, are we willing to go? Two, we're going to pray for, for Ashley Jones and her recovery. Pray for Miss Gladys and her recovery. And I want us to pray over Miss Teresa as she goes with possibly, they'll know for sure in the next week or so whether she's battling cancer. I wanted to, Miss Gladys was, she wanted to keep it quiet, but as you must know, she's already had surgery, but I want us to, to pray over those things. And are we willing to go? Are we willing to walk? Are we willing to invest in these lives? And so let's just pray. If God's leading you to, to pray up front, pray up front. I'll close us in prayer in just a moment.